Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD News Director Cooper Banks. The state of Illinois has a new budget, and Illinois residents have some tax rebates and tax relief to look forward to. We begin by a review of the end of the week. Lawmakers rushing through the night to pass the new budget early Saturday morning. Governor J.B. Pritzker came out with other Democratic state leaders to celebrate later in the day. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. It is a terrific day. We end this legislative session with enormous and historic victories for the people of Illinois. Gas, grocery, and property tax relief. More support for local government than ever before. A massive improvement in staffing for our nursing home residents. Short and long-term debt reduction. And a balanced budget for the fourth year in a row. We've achieved our state's strongest fiscal position in generations, and we prioritize the education, public safety, health, and welfare of the residents of Illinois. Just a few years ago, some people said what we've achieved was impossible. But it's true, our bill backlog is paid off. Our pension liabilities are reduced. Our rainy day fund is recovering and we are delivering $1.8 billion of direct tax relief to the people we serve. This budget is for all those who are worried about the rising cost of groceries, which seem ever more expensive each time you go to the store. It's for those who can only put $10 at a time into your gas tank, because filling up the whole tank stretches you too thin. It's for those who have been straining under the weight of property taxes only to see them increase without a break. It's for our teachers who have taken so much these past two years of the pandemic and who have volunteered to help students in need by spending their own money on them. It's for the 97% of income tax filers who will receive a direct check to help pay their monthly bills. This budget and its $1.8 billion in tax relief is for you, the people of Illinois. I have always believed state government ought to, first and foremost, lift up our working families and those who have too often been left out and left behind. This budget prioritizes them. And I want to thank uh, and express my gratitude to all of the members of the General Assembly who supported this budget, who have once again joined me in the unglamorous but vital work of writing our fiscal ship and serving the best interests of the people of Illinois. For the fourth straight year, I'll sign into law another balanced budget that continues to reverse the damage inflicted by decades of fiscal mismanagement. Responsible budgeting in Illinois is now the rule, not the exception. Let me tell you what that looks like. We're improving our schools and our classrooms by investing in our teachers and our children. With this budget, Illinois school districts will see an extra $518 million with full support for evidence-based funding and paying for textbooks, classroom upgrades, counseling staff, and teachers. We're making childcare more affordable than ever before. And we're providing scholarships for college as well as for career and technical education for more than 155,000 students. 
We're making it more attractive and affordable for small businesses in Illinois by revitalizing commercial corridors and creating jobs by extending our incredibly popular Main Street Grants Program, helping small cities and towns up and down the state. We're suspending licensing fees for bars and restaurants and giving them grants to assist in their recovery. Our hospitality industry is bolstered by its own grants program. On the day that I was sworn into office, I said that we were going to restore fiscal responsibility to this state. Because of the foundation that we've laid over the past three years, we're able to put unprecedented $1 billion into the state's rainy day fund and put an extra $500 million into our pensions, saving taxpayers nearly $2 billion. And most importantly, we can do all of this and return $1.8 billion in tax relief to the families who need it most. With that, I'm very happy to turn it over to Senate President Don Harp. President. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is great to be standing here delivering good news about the budget shortly after we adjourn. Our ability to pass such an excellent budget is the result of a shared commitment among the governor, the General Assembly, and others that the $7.5 billion we received in federal aid needed to be used to pay bills and for emergency COVID costs rather than to start new programs. Our economy rebounded so well, however, that even after we took those steps, we find our, found ourselves with several billion dollars remaining. We knew we wanted to provide real relief to the people who, despite our overperforming economy, are still struggling under the weight of inflation and the lingering effects of the pandemic. So this budget puts money back in the pockets of hardworking Illinoisans in the form of direct tax refund checks. It gives people a break at stores and gas pumps by enacting temporary tax freezes and creating a tax-free back-to-school shopping period. And it permanently expands the earned income tax credit to help those who need it the most. It includes key priorities for the Senate Democrats like funding kindergarten through high school education and human services. This is a budget, uh, a great budget, that reflects the needs and priorities of the people of this great state. And so it is a privilege to turn this over to my friend and partner, the Speaker of the House, Senator, or, uh, Speaker Chris Welch. <laughs> Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I guess good morning again, everyone. <laughs> uh, I hope you all got a good night's sleep. Uh, we certainly did. I think, I think the most I heard was two hours. Uh, I am proud to be standing up here today with Governor J.B. Pritzker, Senate President Don Harmon, and my Democratic colleagues celebrating the success of this session. I mean, it's really hard to imagine as we stand here today that when we started this session in January, we were only in this building together for one day because of the Omicron variant ravaging our state and nation. More people were testing positive for COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic, and our hospitals were nearing capacity. We literally had to come and go for over a month. I never imagined that our 2022 session would again be upended like that. Never imagined it. But we endured and we persisted. We got it done and we got it done by working together. What does this budget do? This budget helps moms and dads put food on the table. This budget helps 
families fill up their gas tanks. This budget helps provide financial support for businesses hit hardest by the pandemic. This budget offers more than $100 million in new tax relief for working families by expanding the earned income tax credit. And we're doing all of this while paying our bills, making extra pension payments, and contributing to a once depleted rainy day fund. There's no way to downplay that. Facts are facts. I'm a lawyer. Senate President Don Harmon's a lawyer. The governor's a lawyer. LG's a lawyer. There's a lot of lawyers up here. <laughs> They'll tell you when the facts are on your side, you argue the facts. And that's all we're going to be talking about are the facts. You didn't hear a single question this morning in the House when talking about the budget because the facts are not on their side. The facts clearly show that we responded to the needs of Illinoisans. We rose to the occasion in this crisis. I'm proud of what we all came together to do here this week, this shortened session. I'm proud of what we've done. I'm proud of what we stand for. And I'm proud to go home and tell my constituents what we did for them. Thank you all so much. Illinois Republicans, in the meantime, are blasting the Democrats' railroading approach. More than 3,000 pages, and Republicans say they barely got a day to read it. They also argue that the nearly $2 billion in tax relief should be permanent. Private business deals to purchase and trade private property happen all the time, but there was one such arrangement that drew particular public scrutiny and quite a bit of outcry in an area of North Peoria around Allen Road and Alta Road in recent days. And as we heard at the beginning of last week, it's now suddenly off the table. The plan to renovate the Prairie Vistas luxury apartments for moderate to lower income folks is now dashed. District 5 Peoria City Councilman Dennis Sear was among those opposing the plan, and he joined the Craig Collins Show with both Craig and WNBD's Will Stevenson sitting in to learn more. The Councilman Sear, uh, I guess uh, first, even though we've seen this on uh, your social media account already, uh, can you officially confirm that this, uh, the meeting and the sale uh, that uh, resulted in the meeting, they're officially both off right now, is that right? That is correct. Uh, we got notice this morning, the city manager, Patrick Ure, got notice this morning from uh, Integrity Housing, which is a non-for-profit corporation from Colorado, they uh, emailed Patrick and uh, said that uh, after uh, doing uh, more due diligence, they, they are pulling their uh, application off the table. So it's, it's official. Do you think that that has anything to do with the amount of media coverage of this? I have to be honest, uh, and I've only been in the area for about a year now after uh, jumping on and, and taking over the show. I can't think of another story like this where a company comes in, wants to pay so much over the the value of a property, and then media kind of um, runs with the story. Is that one of the yeah. reasons you think that it, it changed? Well, probably. You know, I've been the councilman for this district for five years now, and that's probably the busiest I've been uh, in the <laughs> last five years. Uh, I mean, because of the media and social media and everything else, uh, and, and, and it rightfully so. You know, you have a out-of-state, company, a non-for-profit company, wanted to buy or invest $60 million into a deal uh, that, uh, uh, that is a, a uh, you know, revenue bond, tax-free revenue bond, that they want to finance their deal. 
and uh, these non-for-profit don't pay any real estate taxes, and that's the biggest problem for me. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're standing to lose about $600,000 a year for the next 10 or 15 years, and the uh, Dunlap School District was, was standing to lose about 51 cents on every dollar of that money. So uh, wow. you can't understand why people were uh, were uh, ready to uh, to ask a lot of questions and, and, and uh, <laughs> what was going on. And uh, I'm not surprised the attention it, it has received, and and, uh, and uh, I'm happy that uh, it's now off the table. Councilman, it seems like one of the, the big issues, as you said, related to the issue of, of property tax revenue and the potential loss of it, is that this is being done by a nonprofit company. May, call me skeptical, but that just doesn't <laughs> seem like how you how you develop any sort of a housing project is by doing it in a nonprofit fashion, do you? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I mean, for me, I mean, uh, all three of us, you know, if we would, if we could put a deal like this together where we can finance 100% of the, of the purchasing price and issue some, uh, some bonds that would be tax-free bonds or non-taxable bonds, uh, I think uh, all three of us would be happy to have uh, access to an investment like that. Non-taxable <laughs> bonds yeah. that that the that the public pays for anyway. So it just seems like a losing yeah, proposition actually, for I, taxpayers I'll, all around. I'll jump in here, and I th- I think I'll uh, intercede and say I think we all get how the company might have benefited had this uh, process gone through. But everyone else involved, as you stated, certainly us here in this community, uh, would not have had. Uh, the same, uh, as we've uh, put out there, uh, financial benefit uh, from something like this. What would the process had been? Had that meeting actually took in pl- uh, taken place, uh, what would have been the moment where uh, we as a community would have had to make this decision? Or, or what, what have we avoided, I guess I should say, by having them pull their, uh, their application now? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, you avoid a lot of stress. A lot of people yes. that didn't understand the deal and were very upset about it. I mean, it's just stressful for a lot of people that uh, don't have all the facts and only, I mean, we all know what happened on social media. There's just a lot of facts and there's just a lot of opinions. And uh, that basically, when I saw that, my, as a, as a, a councilman, I mean, I want my constituents to have the facts in front of them. And this meeting on Wednesday was informational meeting. I mean, uh, uh, uh Integrity Housing was supposed to be there and come in and make a presentation. And uh, uh, Patrick, our city manager, Patrick Urich, was going to make a presentation also uh, on the other side from the financing point of it from Trivda. And uh, that was an opportunity, really. Uh, I want to give my constituent an opportunity to ask questions. And that's what the meeting was all about, asking some questions and get some information that not just uh, uh, uh people's opinion, but just some, some, some factual information before we could make a, a final decision. So what, now it's off the table. And it's great. Yeah. Would there have been any sort of upside uh, to letting this deal go through, perhaps in addition to, to potentially having more housing, more apartments available for potential residents? Is there another, would there have been another upside to this? Well, I don't think so. I mean, uh, we're, ta- we're talking about existing apartments that are very right. successful, that have been there. Now, do we need some more affordable housing? Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% on board. We do, do need some more affordable housing. But you don't take a, a successful existing property like that. Uh, no, so to me, it made no sense at all. Yeah, uh, that's just the wrong the wrong place. For I, that. I, I, but, I I value very much the mentioning of that 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 
no matter how much of this conversation for a lot of people becomes, do you support housing of some variety uh, in the community, in the area, in the future, all of that, uh, that's a silly distraction, in my opinion. I don't mean to call anybody silly, but it is, uh, because what you said matters more. The existing property is tremendously successful as is. Uh, there is no need to reevaluate something that's not broken. There's always going to be a conversation about creating new uh, opportunities or new housing um, uh, you know, locations throughout our community, correct? That's correct. How best, then, should uh, the city go about uh, trying to get more either affordable housing or just more apartments in, in general? How, how should we best go about doing that? And I think that's something, too, that came up here a while back when uh, the, uh, the housing study was uh, released by the city. And then after his answer, I have a follow-up question that's going to be tremendously stupid, and I warn every guest on this show that I usually ask something dumb. But take Will's question first, please, Councilman. Well, I'm not sure how we go about it. I mean, we need, we, it always comes down to, to money and zoning and, and uh, you know, being able to find the right place and at the, at the right cost, you know, and having the right amenities. Uh, so, I mean, uh, there, there's, uh, you know, we have two or three or four organizations right here in Peoria, local. And this one's out of town people. Yeah. But we have, we have local people here, you know, that build. Uh, these types of housing, and and those are the ones that we need to talk to. I mean, they know that 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 their uh, their area of expertise a lot better than I do. Well, and again, and to that uh, same uh, point out, like what I just pointed out a moment ago, that this is tremendously stupid. I think we should take on a couple roommates here at WMBD on the 12th floor of the Civic Center Plaza. I can take two or three, probably just in afternoon hours. Don't want to disrupt the morning show. I don't know, Councilman, your expertise in all this. If you'd like to feel the yes, no, I feel like my bosses will have an idea. But you yourself, I don't know if you if you can green light that. <laughs> He's going to decline. I'll let you guys take that one. You take that one. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Had you uh, had a chance, getting back to serious questions, <laughs> uh, Councilman, have you, did you have a chance to talk with Integrity Housing? Uh, what did they say to you, if so? Well, we had, uh, I had a meeting last Friday, uh, and, uh, you know, I, that's when I asked all my questions, and and uh, got my facts and my information uh, from directly from them. So uh, a lot of these, uh, I, I just knew that after that meeting last Friday, it was just not a good fit for yeah. for uh, the 5th District and for Peoria. So you're saying that Craig's proposal to sublease the WMBD studio is a much better plan than the one you heard from Integrity? <laughs> I, see, I see you tried to trap him. He's going to avoid this like yeah. a very smart person and say, As he should. go ahead, Councilman, something like, uh, we'll handle that on our own, right? Well, you can do it on your own. Yeah, just put some numbers on paper. I'll look at it. I would <laughs> love to. Enough. He has no idea how much I would love to do that and send that over. And I don't mean to waste yeah. your time, but that's who I am. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a busy guy uh, taking a few minutes out to chat about this. And uh, anyone that's curious now, as the uh, you know story is essentially uh, over at this point, it sounds like it's a very good thing uh, that this didn't occur. Yeah. The power of the human mind and the impact of the events surrounding it. When the world goes a little nuts, it can drive us a little nuts, too. We learned all about it from Dr. Eric Braun, assistant professor at Bradley University, who joined WNBD's The Greg and Dan Show earlier this week. Is the word dysregulation, is that the word I'm looking at, of, yeah. of our, our brains? And, and so we've set it up all morning with you in that uh, new, telling people that you're coming. Uh, our brains are afraid. Uh, if the wires in our, uh, if our brain were wires, we're afraid a little bit because we've got all this stressor. We have all these stressors. We have COVID and 
and isolation and Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, looming wars and all those kind of things. What does dysregulation of our brain mean? So dysregulation of the brain, um, uh, think of it as uh, almost like if you're getting used to a certain way of living, um, whether that be even from like a traumatic upbringing, for example, um, or, uh, you know, world event like this one or like 9-11, Columbine, uh, all those types of horrible things, your brain, you, you, you form these uh, what they're calling neural pathways. Yeah, I've heard of that. And and what those are is it's kind of the the way that you feel and think and behave. Your brain kind of, and this isn't physically true, but you can kind of think of it this way. Your brain kind of forms these grooves. You get used to the the way those ways of thinking. Could, could you say the word normalcy? Whatever your normal is, what mine is yours is, is is yours is different than mine. But I'm used to getting up every day and going to this job and doing this thing, and and then on the weekends I do these kind of things. And while there may be variances in there, it's kind of uh, the same. It's kind of the same, right? Sure. Like, and so that's why um, good habits and bad habits, however you define good and bad, sure. Um, that those contribute to that, right? So yeah, yeah. if you get up, get up every morning and exercise or, or meditate or do uh, any number of other uh, healthy ways of coping, right. your brain is going to uh, get used to that and respond to that eventually. Um, if, you, uh, if you're like me sometimes and you play too much video games, <laughs> you're gonna, you're, your brain's going to get used to that too, right? And sure. so... Um, if you, if you take that to, uh, these types of world events and looking at the news and, uh, worrying about it all the time. And, um, you know, some people like to purposely look at things they disagree with. Um, and there's almost a, a, a an addictive quality to that. I was going to ask that. Your brain yeah. gets used to that. Too. Is that, a, is that under the definition of addiction or like if every day I get up to try to find out who I'm mad at mm-hmm. seems addicting to me. Yeah, so uh, the, I don't think there's not uh, something in it specifically, officially, you know, on the okay. DSM five. Right. But there's it, it certainly behaves the same way as as addiction. It's just you don't ha- have as much of that uh, physiological stuff. That device right there in front of you is the addiction. They they did studies where they put people in a room with nothing. Yeah. And after three minutes, they get started jonesing. Yeah. And yeah. and people don't are growing up now without the ability to turn off and go sit on the back porch and watch a tree wave in the in, in you know in, in the wind, and this inability to disconnect and be quiet is, is probably adding to all of this, right? Certainly, yeah. And uh, you know, with with technology and stuff, there there are other certain things too that that contribute to that as well. Um, uh, for instance, if you forgot the name of an actor uh, back in the day yeah. and you're just talking with your friends, you got to go, oh, what was the name of that person? Uh-huh. I can't think of that. And then you and your buddies talk about it, and then eventually maybe you get to the answer. With the phone, you instantly get it, and there may be something lost in that, right? Um, because you're not 
in a certain way, your brain's not being challenged that way. Okay, now, this is the greatest news I've ever heard, Danny. Yeah. Because it's it's like uh, Dr. Braun has listened to the Greg and Dan show for the last 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to us almost every day, where we're, one of us will go, who's that guy with you the thing? You know the guy? Yeah. The guy with <laughs> the, the earring guy with and the, the hat. Yeah. And, and you're right. We live in this Google-centric world. Uh, and so the fact that we can access it right away mm-hmm. actually might be damaging or at least not be a positive thing to helping work the muscle, if I can yeah. say it that way, of the brain, right? Yeah, in a way it, it limits your ability to be bored. And you, you, in a way being bored is good because it, it limits you, you know, you, it forces you to have imagination. And, and you know. my favorite thing as a kid, looking back on my summers, was being bored with nothing mm-hmm. to do yeah. for hours trying to come up with stuff. And, and another thing that might add all of this is for some reason parents look at the kids in the summer going, well, they just can't sit around all summer, so they fill up their schedules with travel teams yeah. and all this and that, and that probably adds to all of it too. Yeah, and that, and, and for uh, you know kids like me who are introverts, I mean, I'm not a kid anymore, I'm 36, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know when I was a kid and still now I was an introvert and am an introvert, and when you fill your schedule with lots of stuff, you know, you never have that winding down time. You never have that rest. You this know? is different. Uh, t- tell me how it's different than mental health issues. Although this feels like it, it's a mm-hmm. little different, right? This is not I'm dealing with a mental illness or a mental health challenge. I have a brain mm-hmm. that n- is, is just off its path that will lead me in a positive way. And, and the stresses of the world, COVID and Ukraine and all the other big things, can take me down that path. So, so what do we do about that? Yeah, so um, there are a number of approaches. Um, and and uh, so uh, people often ask me, and I'm, I'm going to get to the answer in kind of a roundabout way. But, That's okay. Um, so people often ask me, what's the difference between counseling and psychology? And um, psychology comes from a medical model. In, in other words, um, they assume there's there's something wrong. Counseling doesn't necessarily assume there's something wrong, and we need both fields. I'm not I'm not uh, mm-hmm. denigrating psychology in any way, um, but uh, counseling comes from a wellness perspective, meaning we're all growing. They're, they're, they, we all have something in our lives we'd like to see different, and uh, so this is more of a wellness uh, issue, and. In an indirect way, it's a mental health issue. It's just we're not dealing with a disorder. I understand. And so, um, the the way to the way to do that, the way I approach it personally, is um, I uh, exercise regularly. And um, one of the one of the best things I've done for my personal wellness and mental health has been meditation. Uh, uh, Probably five times a week, and sometimes I miss that stuff. Quiet all the yeah. noise, right? And what that does is it helps the regulation, because if you're if you're doing it in uh, kind of in the mindfulness style of meditation, which is counting your breaths. If I breathe in, that's one. I breathe out, that's two. And then when I get to ten, I start over. Um, and and I focus on that. And then when I say. When, when I notice, oh, my mind's wandering, let's come back to the breathing. And maybe I, um, we, we do this thing called noting, N-O-T-I-N-G. Um, I note what the feeling was or what the thought was that got me off of that. Was it an unpleasant feeling or was it a pleasant feeling? 
And was it anxiety? Was it anger? Was it whatever it was? And I come back. And what that does is that helps those neuropathways that I was talking about earlier. And it gets your brain more used to going, okay, everything's cool. I'm, I'm back on track. And you kind of get used to those uh, what we consider to be unpleasant emotions, and you get to be more okay with those emotions. It reminds me a lot of, well, uh, Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power of Now, um, but it reminds me a lot of, of, of Zen Buddhism in the sense mm-hmm. that it's only the present. All these things are distractions. The only thing you control is now, so be in the now. Sure, yeah. And certainly there's something to be said for reflecting on the past. Um, you know, we can learn from the past and so forth. But being in the present is a very healthy way to be mm-hmm. and, uh, and really it's that idea of training your brain to get back to not avoiding these unpleasant emotions but learning to ride them out and learning to say, okay, this is part of the human experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with it. It's going to end at some point. It's arguably been the biggest talk topic of the last couple of weeks and it was an unprecedented human act in and of itself. Academy Award-winning actor Will Smith losing his cool, walking on stage to slap comedian Chris Rock live on national TV during the Academy Awards last month, all thanks to one of Rock's perhaps poorly crafted jokes about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. Now, the Academy banning Will Smith from the Oscars for a decade. The blowback has come hard against Smith, who has now resigned from the Academy. But I wanted to turn toward the perspective of those who are on the stage telling the jokes. For that, I turned to Dan Conlon, the owner of the Jukebox Comedy Club in Peoria. And we all know what happened with Will Smith and the big slap. I just wanted you to state again your reaction to to what happened and what your experience was with that. Well, unlike... um most people that are commenting on social media about what happened, I was actually watching, like I do every year, I was watching the Oscars, and I was just like, what is happening? Everything was all cut up, and the sound went out. and mm-hmm. uh, So within about 10 minutes, I went to Twitter, and I found a clip. Someone in Australia posted uh, an unedited version of what happened, and I was like shocked. I'm like, is that a joke or is that a what the heck it brings us straight to the issue of what what the dynamic of what happened in that scene you had someone who was up on the stage telling a joke hecklers are are not exactly anything new for uh the folks who come through your comedy club uh for you to have to deal with as the owner there i'm wondering how how this event affected you as as someone who works in this business well yeah you know all the years that i have owned the jukebox about 22 years and going on six thousand different shows i've been there for all the shows i've no one's ever um attacked a person on stage uh, uh, even after the show that so seldom happens Sometimes after a show, someone will come up to the comedian or a comedian and say, uh, hey, I didn't like it when you said blah, blah, blah. But um, it's definitely made me feel that at least for a couple of weeks, 
I may uh, I may make a pre-show announcement, even if it's a joke. I, and after I make my usual announcement uh, about turn off your cell phones, stuff like that, uh, don't interrupt the comedians. I always say don't uh, heckle the comedians. Don't uh, interrupt what they have to say. If you think of something funny to say or you have a comment about something that comedians are uh, saying, just Keep it inside your head. <laughs> Don't let it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are typically what I announcements that I make. But Wednesday night I said something. Oh, and oh, by the way, and uh, don't physically assault the comedians. <laughs> and everyone laughed as I thought they would. Um, and it almost goes without saying because their audiences are so awesome anyway. But when something like that happens, you don't want. Uh, you don't even take the chance of it um, giving people uh, a thought that, oh, uh, maybe uh, maybe I could do something like that. <laughs> you know, that I'll strike at that really quickly, too, is did you ever imagine that at some point you would have to utter something like that before <laughs> a comedy show? I don't... You know, you would. I would never imagine that uh, anyone in the country would have thought that someone would be offended by words to such a point where they would do something like that. Can you imagine, especially on national television, mm. in front of millions of people, someone whose career has been awesome to potentially ruin it in that way? so strange um how have I, I let me ask you this is is also how is it that the comics that you know because there's been a lot of buzz and comics have been talking about it of course what's their what's their reaction been like on this one oh man almost uh almost a hundred percent obviously at no point should that ever happen that's the overwhelming a sense if you hear something uh, during a comedy show that offends you or upsets you uh, that's understandable I mean you never know what you're going to hear at a comedy show so that I mean that's part of the beauty of it it's so unpredictable it's typically so fun uh, stress relieving awesome uh, occasionally you'll hear something that maybe uh, uh, pisses you off uh, but it, in no way should you ever um, respond to words with violence. I mean, that's a crime. So um, my uh, and the overwhelming sentiment and mine as well is that uh, when you attend a, a, a comedy performance, when you attend a live performance of any kind, um, if something upsets you, uh, just uh, put on your big boy pants and uh, get over it and enjoy the rest of the show. If, if you can't get past it, uh, if you can't uh, move on and enjoy the rest of the show, then get out. Um, you don't you don't have a right to uh, assault somebody because of what words are say uh, because of what words are said. I mean, that's, isn't that the whole basis 
uh, or a big part, isn't that a big part of uh, the Constitution and freedom of speech? Uh, you, you're free to speak freely in this country uh, without worrying about uh, punishment um, of a physical kind. I would take it to a kind of what we had touched on before, a little bit about comedy. I mean, how much of comedy is meant to, say, make the consumer of it a little uncomfortable or offend them a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say that comedy, um, there are so many types of comedy, you know? So how can you please everyone all the time? Um, I think uh, comedy is uh, meant to do so many things. Uh, obviously, the number one thing that comedy should do overall, a comedy performance, is make you laugh, of course. Uh, but throughout a comedy show, and you know, I'll have headliners, but I'll also have a host and usually several other comics uh, that do shorter sets before the headliner. And so during a course of one of our shows, there are all kinds of comedy styles and topics. Um, and yes, comedy uh, is meant to uh, surprise you, uh, shock you, maybe temporarily uh, offend you. Uh, make you think, um, induce gut-wrenching laughter, maybe a chuckle, a smile, but in no way should you uh, ever be allowed to um, take it to the point where you physically assault somebody, obviously. But uh, that's part of the beauty of comedy, yeah, that um, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to be said. Um it's supposed to take you on a ride, you know. Just strap yourself in and enjoy the ride and uh, and have a good time for a couple of hours. You know? Con- Conlon says the new reminder for audiences likely won't need to remain for long. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest 360 station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. Follow us at 1470 100.3 WNBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470WNBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WNBD News.